Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. I think it's the first edition of Rico Bronia where we're probably going to be a little uh, bitchy, a little uh, annoyed. Langry because the Mets are coming off back-to-back losses to the Houston Astros. I'm not going to call it a sweep. I called it a sweep on the air today with Craig, and the more I think about it, I feel dirty calling it a sweep. It's two games. Can you really call two games a sweep? So here's how it's going to work today. We'll talk about these two games. Uh, We'll talk about the injuries, Carlos Carrasco, Jeff McNeil, a little bit about this team moving forward. And then we've got ourselves a little bit of a special guest, Sal Licata, who does a fine job doing the overnights on our radio station, WFAN. And he hosts the Baseball Night New York show, which bumps off Carton and Roberts off SNY at 6. We can't go till 6.30. So at 6 o'clock, you get Sal's beautiful face. And we'll talk about the Mets with him. I'm sure we'll argue a little bit. Uh, we as Met fans have argued in the FAN newsroom for many, many years. So I'm sure there'll be some things we disagree about. I'll bust his balls for the fact that he declared the NL East East race over a month ago. So we'll have some fun talking to Sal Licata in a few minutes on Rico. Let's start off with what was just uh, a frustrating two games against the Houston Astros. Obviously, in game one, when the Astros start teeing off on Trevor Williams in the third inning, Altuve hits that home run, a home run that's only out at Minute Maid Park. Jordan Alvarez hits the two-run bomb. You kind of felt like the game was over, but really what ended it was when they had that beautiful opportunity in the fourth inning with the bases loaded and one out after Gurriel, who's usually a pretty sure-handed first baseman, booted the ground ball to first by Luis Guillerme, and Eduardo Escobar and J.D. Davis struck out back-to-back. And that view I have of Escobar and J.D. Davis from their back-to-back strikeouts in the fourth inning, that anger I had towards them, continued into the second game of this series because J.D. Davis can't hit a fastball. I think I said that on the last edition of the Rico, but I'm going to repeat it because J.D. Davis can hit an effing fastball. So the three runs in the third inning felt like a death knell in this game. Not being able to do anything when you're handed a gift on the Gurriel bad defensive play and then Escobar and J.D. Davis strike out back-to-back. That, that really was the baseball game, and it just turned into an ugly one, especially when they broke it open against Chase and Shreve, who also isn't very good, and it became kind of this ugly blowout. 
I'm happy for Pete that Pete hit a home run, even though it meant nothing in the sixth inning. I wasn't happy for Eduardo Escobar because if Eduardo Escobar, who's done very little this season, and I have tried to be incredibly patient with him, Hoffman will tell you, Escobar's still on my fantasy team. Isn't that the definition of patience, Pete? I agree. And listen, I even tried to make a trade for Escobar, and you were like, no, too much. Too much for Escobar at the time. So that's you're, right. <laughs> you're waiting. I'm waiting. I mean, that's the proof that I'm not just patient as a Met fan. I'm patient as a fantasy owner. Like, I could very easily cut him today. And I've said no, because I've been a patient guy. But when he hits that home run in the seventh inning, I don't want to be that guy who says, ah, oh, meaningless home run, big deal. Yankee fans used to say that about A-Rod all the time. I like to hope that the home run turns into something. Not necessarily that the Mets were going to come back from 7-2 down, but hey, maybe the home run turns into Escobar getting hot. You know, Maybe that's what it turns into. Because the previous day, that Monday afternoon game against the Marlins, he did have a two-RBI single. He had a sack fly. He was coming off a three-RBI day. So I could at least rationalize that despite striking out in the biggest at-bat of the game, bases loaded one out, hey, maybe that home run in the seventh inning is going to lead to something. It led to ungats. Is that the phrase? Ungats? Uh, it's U- more of like ugats. Ugats? Ugats. Thank you, Pete. You're welcome. That's Italian, right? It, it is Italia. Straight up Italia. <laughs> hey, listen, man. My Italian isn't great, though I did sit next to Joe Beningo for 15 years, and he would use that phrase once in a while. Ugats, okay? The second game of this series, and I admit, when we're on the air during a game, the receipts are all there. You know, when you're watching a game, sometimes I'll tweet things, I'll tweet some thoughts. But for the most part, I'm watching the game in my own privacy. You may not know exactly how I feel. So we have this game on as we're doing the afternoon program on Wednesday afternoon. And when Carlos Carrasco, and we've talked about a bad cookie, bad cookie showed up. We got good cookie and we got bad cookie. The last cookie was a good cookie. This was a spoiled, rotten, disgusting cookie. But when he starts throwing batting practice in the first inning of this game, I think I said on the air to Craig, this is a blowout. This is one of those games where it's an ugly 12-1 game to where Craig, and I know he's just busting balls when he says this, says on the air, hey, what position player is going to pitch today for the Mets? And I agreed with him. So I was dead wrong about that. The Mets showed a little bit of fight. And the bullpen did an outstanding job after Escobar was finally taken out, but they still lost the freaking game. You know, at the end of the day, didn't turn into one of those great victories that I was certainly dreaming of. But let me start with Carlos Carrasco. Actually, you know what? Let me start with the opportunity they blew, and then we'll get to Carrasco because there's some long-range concerns about Cookie coming out with this injury. I thought that when Yoan Lopez comes into this game and does a fairly good job of cleaning up the third inning, of getting through the fourth, of getting through the fifth. That's how you script out the comeback when you're down 5 nothing. you got to do two things, in my opinion. A, your bullpen's got to come in and settle things down, which didn't happen the night before, because when Trevor Williams gets knocked out in the fourth inning, Chase and Treve threw uh, canister on the fire, or oil on the fire, or gasoline on the fire. Yeah, something that you do with fires that make it worse. Whatever it is. So... A, you need to keep the game close. And then B, you got to chip away. I was even explaining this to my son, Jed, who was watching the previous game. And he was so tired, but is so getting into it. It broke my heart. When Jordan Alvarez hit the home run off Trevor Williams in the third inning, he burst out into tears. 
And I was like, Chad, buddy, this is causing you to cry. We got problems. problems. It's going to get a lot worse from here. I haven't even broached the subject of Kevin Durant. The fact that, hey, you know, Kevin Durant may be upset someday and may ask for a trade. I mean, if he's crying over your dad Alvarez hitting a home run, there are going to be a lot of tears, Jet. But I was explaining to him, hey, look, this is a game we're likely not going to win, but here's how you make a comeback. Your bullpen's got to come in. you got to get a long reliever in, a la Pat Mahomes back in the day or Darren Oliver back in the day. Keep the game close, and then just start pecking away. Get a run here, run there, run here, run there. Mets got a run in the third inning. Okay. Dom Smith roped the double. Fantastic. Finally. Dom's in the lineup. Let's see if he can do anything. It's a 5-1 to one game, and the bullpen keeps the game close. And then the sixth inning, and I'm trying to remember what they did in the sixth inning and how they rallied. Uh, I know there was a Pete Alonso sack fly, which I love. See, this is what happens when I don't score a game. I have to, like, actually use my memory bank of what happened. But Pete Alonso, sacrifice fly, Starling Marte had an RBI double in this setup. It's a 5-3 to three game. They've already chipped away. And I was even thinking this. I didn't say this on the air because I didn't want to really get too into the weeds on this. But bases loaded, one out down 5-3. Just get a run across. I'm not even asking tie the game, take the lead. Make it a one-run game. You're always in scoring position when you're down a run late. Run into one, boom, tie game. Ryan Presley grooves one, great, tie game. But when they have bases loaded one out, and first it's Eduardo Escobar, and he swings at a pitch that's like over his damn head. It's like, dude, I like you. I love that you like Foca de Chow. He's a good dude. He's good in the locker room. But your defense sucks. You haven't hit all year. And here you are. And maybe I'm overdramatic to say this could have been a signature hit. But it could have been a signature hit. This would have been a great victory. This may have broken our uh, Hoffman and Roberts top five Met victory if they come back here and win this game. And it's bad enough that he's not coming through with a big hit with that signature moment. He's striking out on a pitch at his freaking eyes. And then Dom Smith comes up. And again, this could be Dom's moment. This is a guy who did nothing with the opportunities that were handed to him earlier this season. He ends up in AAA. He tears it up in AAA to his credit. Now he's back. And he's swinging out a slider in the dirt. And you knew the game was over at that point. I know you still had nine outs to go, but the freaking game is over. So I think watching Escobar struggle, watching Dom Smith, I know he had the the double in this game, but overall struggle in a big spot. It's a reminder with a month to go, and I'm going to talk to Sal about this, get his view. They're going to need to add another bat. Yeah, they're scoring five runs a game. I get that. But Escobar is a problem. You know, at what point do we say, look, you can't play every day? And after the game, I thought it was really interesting. Buck's talking about sitting him for a few days. Great. If McNeil's back, they should sit him. And then B, Escobar is saying all the right things. I can't say that enough. Escobar's a good dude. Like, us ripping him is not about him. He's saying, I got to give the fans a reason to cheer. I have confidence I'm going to bounce back. Like, he's writing a book on how you handle struggles in New York, and I commend him for that, but at some point, you got to hit. At some point, you got to field your position. And I'm not convinced sitting him for a few days is going to fix it. And this actually goes back to Jeff McNeil, who they really missed in this series. Because when you go back to game one and the missed opportunity, bases loaded one out, Escobar, J.D. Davis coming up. If Jeff McNeil's healthy, he's coming up. And what did we talk about last time on the Rico? Guys hitting 410 with two outs and runners in scoring position. 
If there is a guy on this team you have confidence coming up in a big spot, Jeff McNeil's up there. And so they miss Jeff McNeil in these two games. And if Jeff can come back for the Friday night game against the Marlins, right now the best Met team features Luis Guillerme playing. Because Luis Guillerme's cooled off from his hot streak. But you know what Luis Guillerme does? He puts the bat on the ball. And in a big spot, like the one Eduardo Escobar and Dom Smith came up in, I got trust of Luis Guillerme. I mean, look, Luis Guillerme was a big part of that rally. He's the one that hit that double uh, right over third base that really got this thing going, and then Canna had the really good at-bat. Guillerme's got to play. One thing I would argue, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but if we do get to the point of, hey, both McNeil, Guillerme, Canna, Marte, Nimmo, they're all in the lineup, I'd argue McNeil should play third and Guillerme should play second. Luis has great versatility when they have both played. We've seen Luis at third, Jeff at second. And this is not a knock on Jeff. Jeff's played a really good second base. Really good second base. But Guillerme at second base is a wizard. Luis Guillerme and Francisco Lindor as a double play combination is just mm, outstanding. So... I don't know if Buck's going to do that. I'm just saying I would do that. As far as Carrasco's concerned, he's had a very weird year. We've talked about this, and usually it's off to good after good starts. We say, yeah, he's had a better year than his numbers because those bad starts are real bad. Well, he's starting to have too many bad starts. <laughs> this was a really bad performance. I'm not sure if the back was affecting him in the early going. You could certainly see it at the end when his sinker's at 89. Hopefully it's minor. I think the Mets need to be really conservative with him, and I think they need to be really conservative with Max. I wouldn't change what I'm doing with Scherzer based on Carrasco's injury. If you want to give Max another rehab start, you should do it. They have a couple of off days, which is going to help them, an off day on Thursday, an off day on Monday. So it's easy to, for this weekend, go Walker, Bassett, Peterson, and then regroup next Tuesday against Houston. But there is some concern about Carlos Carrasco. And concerned about this rotation because they've had a very tough time staying healthy. We know about Jake, the Max injury, Tyler McGill, who I don't expect to see for a while. Probably I don't expect to see him in the rotation, period. And now the concerns about Carlos Carrasco. So two straight losses to Houston. Uh, It's not the end of the world. The Astros are a very good team. But obviously there are some frustrations and there are some concerns that are becoming obvious the more you see the DH position the more we see Eduardo Escobar struggle and obviously the latest injury with Carlos Carrasco. We'll come back and get the views and probably argue a little bit with WFAN's and SNY's Sal Licata. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. We are now joined by a great Met fan. Um, he's an annoying bitch when it comes to the Rangers, <laughs> the Knicks, and the football team he roots yeah. for. But when it comes to the Mets, I respect this man as a Met fan. You can watch him on SNY and obviously doing overnights on WFAN. And that is Sal Akata. Sal, how you been, pal? At least we have common ground with the Mets. Something we've been discussing. Geez, when did you start as fan? 2004, I did my first show. Right, so basically, and I started in, as an intern in 03, so you're talking about almost 20 freaking years in some way, shape, or form we've been discussing the Mets together, or even if it was just me listening to you or you seeing tweets or watching shows, for almost 20 years we've been going back and forth about the Mets. And all these years later, you won't let me forget that I thought Oliver Perez <laughs> would win a Cy Young at some point. Amongst other stuff. You know what sticks with me? That one and then Beningo talking about Victor Diaz being oh. this great. Victor Diaz, I think, is going to be better than Manny Ramirez or David Wright. I forget exactly what he oh, said. Oh, there, there's a line, <laughs> and I guess I could play it because it's still saved, where Joe says, and he owns this, like Joe owns the, the things he said in the past, in which the line is, Mark my words, bro. Victor Diaz will be a better Met than either David Wright or Jose Reyes. That's oh, the line. Yeah, right. I mean, look, when you, I'm learning when you're on the air long enough, you're bound to say dumb shit. But that was one of the dumber things that I could remember from well, Joe. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't go down as a dumb line. But you proclaimed this division race over a couple weeks ago and right. it's not. And a part of why it's not has nothing or even to do with the Mets. The Mets have been fine despite these two losses to Houston. It's because the Atlanta Braves are the defending world champions and they got really, really hot. Are you going to walk that back? Cause this division race is not over, dude. Well, I mean, if you're being technical, is it over? No, of course it's not over. But at the time that I said it, I see, I didn't even think that it was a big deal because I mean, who'd you think was going to win the division? I thought the Mets were going to win the division coming into the year. At that particular moment, they were up 10 and a half games, if I'm not mistaken, on June 1st. So Memorial Day came and went. The Braves looked awful. They were dead and buried. So, yeah, I mean, if I thought the Mets were going to win the division, why would I think that it wouldn't be over at that particular point? Oh, and by the way, even with their 14-game win streak and the Braves playing better baseball, they're still – Still trailing the Mets as we tape this by five. And I know Atlanta was losing 2-1 last I saw. But, I mean, is it technically over? No, but I think the Mets are winning the division. So I'm not going to back that down. I'm hopeful I'm hopeful the Mets are going to win the division too, by the way. Not hopeful. No, not hopeful. I believe that they're winning the division. But the other thing is I would back it down if it were because of the Mets losing. 
but they haven't done that. That's no, the biggest difference. No, no, I, I'm not even disagreeing with you in that the Mets did anything wrong during this. The Mets are off to one of their greatest starts in franchise history, and I think sometimes we're all not appreciating it enough. I think a part of it's the Yankees, fair or not. Like, right. I think the Yankees, I, I use the, I'll give you this basketball analogy because I think you'd relate to it. In 13, the Knicks won 54 games. Guys had a great year. The Nets won 49 games. I had so little enjoyment that year because the whole year, the Knicks were better. And I knew that they were better. And I think for some Mets fans, not all, what's taken away from this great start, one of the great starts in the franchise's history, is that there's a team that we both talk about a lot, they're in this town, mm-hmm. that have been better. So I, I think that there's no negative to what the Mets have done. It's just that what I think you did, where I, here's where I disagree with you. The Braves are the defending world champions. They've won how many NL East division crowns in a row? Right. Just because they were playing crap baseball never to me meant, well, they're done. They're going to win 85 games. They're a lot. Like the Atlanta Braves legitimately right now could win 95 games. And that's enough, especially with 15 games head to head between the Mets and Braves to say, this is going to be a dogfight. This is going to be a great race that may come down to the final week of the year. Right. But 10 and a half game lead, that is unheard of at that point. And. And regardless of what the Braves are going to do, and I didn't think that the Braves are going to go away quietly, and I even said it in there, the Braves will make a run, it'll probably be too late. Now, I didn't realize that as the words came out of my mouth, the Braves would reel off 14 wins in a row. <laughs> but think, and think about what it took just to get back to being five and a half games out. But the other aspect of it is, you know, they don't have Scherzer, the Mets. They don't have DeGrom back at that point. They're going to get those guys, and to use your phrase, Stevie Cohen and that beautiful money of his, you know that they're going to go out there. Now, look, I hope that they can take advantage of some bad contracts and, and take our money, but they're going to improve the ball club. So all of those things factored in, to me, is what made me say the division was over at that particular point. Now, technically, is it over? No, the Braves have done a nice job getting themselves back in the conversation, but I'm not worried one bit. I truly believe wholeheartedly the Mets are winning the division. All right, you you mentioned Cohen's beautiful money, and I agree. I think we as Mets fans have confidence that come July 31st, Steve Cohen is not going to certainly be deterred by money. Right now, because I go back and forth on this, we have a, an injury concern of Carlos Carrasco is going to have an MRI in his back. Hopefully he's okay. There's always going to be an injury concern around Jake. I love Jacob DeGrom. He's become my all-time favorite Met, but I got to call it like it is. You can't trust Jacob DeGrom. I mean, how, how can you? The guy's barely pitched. Then you've got Eduardo Escobar, who quite frankly sucks. He's a great dude. We all love Foca de Chao. He's been awful. He admits he's awful. Doesn't make it any better. He's awful. J.D. Davis can't hit my fastball. And Dom Smith is a quadruple-A player. So when you look at those concerns and the bullpen, which outside of Edwin Diaz, who I have to admit has been great, what's the number one thing you would want to add? Third base, D.H., starting pitcher, bullpen help. Go. Um... Well, I think bullpen has to be number one. As much as I want to say DH and God, I mean, they need a D. It can't be that difficult. You have the luxury of having all you need is a DH. He doesn't have to play third, doesn't have to run the bases, doesn't have to throw the ball. Just get somebody who can hit. There's got to be somebody somewhere now that the Mets could get to be a DH that's better than what we've seen from Cano, Dom Smith, and J.D. Davis. But even with that, it's imperative they get Really, they need two bullpen arms because outside, and I was just talking with Omar and I about this after the show today, Baseball Night in New York. Outside of Diaz, there is nobody you can trust in that bullpen. And what happens if Diaz either you know struggles a little bit or something happens with Diaz where he's out for 10 days or two weeks? 
they're screwed. They need at least one, probably two bullpen arms. To me, that is a top priority. Maybe not in the postseason because in the postseason they'll have starters that they could use out of the pen. Right now, they are in desperate need of some bullpen arms. No, I completely agree. I, I was saying this recently that Diaz may be the most important player right now. I could right. come up with ways to replace everybody. You lose Pete Alonso, it sucks. It would hurt the lineup in a major, major way. You can find a way to at least somewhat adequately replace him. We've seen the rotation take hits all season long, but you're right. Edwin Diaz, who's had a great year, misses any extended period of time. You're going to ask Seth Lugo to close games? I mean, he is a shell of his former self. He's been a problem, Lugo, because they needed one of those guys. Lugo, Adovino, Drew Smith, Trevor May. They needed one, really two, I guess, of that bunch to be somewhat trustworthy. And they've got nobody that could be consistent and trustworthy. Luckily, Diaz. Yeah, I've been saying he's their MVP. I know Alonzo, but yeah. you take Diaz off this team, they're screwed. No, they need Diaz. I think Drew Smith has been good. I can't rely that that's going to continue in the second half of the year. I think what's going to be tough about the bullpen help thing is there aren't a lot of great relievers that are going to become available because most of the teams that are clearly out of it don't have elite level relievers. Like I love this Bednar in Pittsburgh. I go after him. Soto with the Tigers, but it's not. It's not an incredibly long list. Now, are you in agreement that as we sit here in late June, J.D. Davis and Dom Smith are not the answer? We've seen yes. opportunities from both. And look, I'm all for calling up a young guy like Mark Vientos or Francisco Alvarez just to see. Just to see, all right, we got a month. Let's see if one of these guys can take off. Let's see if one of these kids could become like Miguel Cabrera in 2003 right. or, you know, some young player that makes a big impact. Even oh, Michael Conforto. Conforto for us. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, but you're done with J.D. and Dom, right? Yes, I am. And I, I think in, in sports, like, I wanted to give Cano a legitimate chance. Obviously, he failed. Okay, let's see what Dom would do getting a run. I would have preferred to see Alonzo more D.H. Dom at first. But Dom had opportunities, didn't get it done. And it's different. This is not 2019 anymore. This is not 2017 or 2018. It's different. This team has World Series aspirations. Forget the Dom Smiths and the J.D. Davis. Go get a legitimate bat. There have to be better options. Even J.D. Davis, who I liked and figured, okay, if he's going to give you anything, he can't play defense. He can't play, obviously, he can't play the outfield where they tried to force him down our throats. Can't play third base. Can't run. Can't throw. Whatever. At least maybe he can hit. He can't even do that. So, no, I'm done. Beyond done with Cano, Dom Smith, and J.D. Davis. Of the three of them, not one guy worth anything. They need to go get a legitimate bat. And I would not be opposed to eventually bringing up Alvarez. Look, he's never going to catch at the big league level at this particular point, but his bat will play. He can hit the fastball. Yeah. No, and I think that with the way the rosters are constructed now, with the fact that you can't carry more than 13 pitchers, with the fact that we got 26-man rosters and we have the DH, if you call up Francisco Alvarez and you say, you're going to catch once a week, all right? We think that you can handle a pitching staff once in a while, not all the time. And you have him catch once a week, which gives you a break from the lack of offense from Tomas Nito and eventually James McCann, who's coming back. <laughs> and then you DH him. Like, I think he could be used in that kind of way. I don't know if he's going to be the answer because we need to find out soon. You know, there's a trade deadline on July 31st. And so that's why I'm at the point now of whether it's Vientos, who probably has more versatility because he could play third base, could play first base, or Alvarez. I got to see one of those kids for the next month just so that we know for sure, okay, they got to add another bat. Because we well, don't they know. Can't, they can't be worse 
see, that's what I don't understand. And I get that you don't want to bring these prospects up too soon. And I guess Billy Epler, who follows the Yankee mold, does not want to bring guys up, obviously, from double A. So Alvarez will have to you know, go through the system, I would think. But they can't be any worse than the zero production that they're getting from that spot with the other guys that we mentioned. We've seen Nick Plummer get opportunity. I mean, come on, go with somebody who's at least got a shot here to potentially be a difference maker, especially at a time. Remember, too, when the Mets called up Conforto, there was pressure on Conforto because the team was not hitting. This is different. This is a luxury now. This is just in addition to the best offense, you know, scoring runs-wise or whatever, average-wise on base percentage. In baseball, it's not a it's not a pressurized situation where they can bring somebody up, bat them eighth or ninth in the order, and see if they could get anything from that spot. Yeah, you're right. Because I, I remember in 15, their offense was so bad that Juan Uribe and Kelly Johnson yeah. were treated as if, oh, my God, the cavalry is coming. It was, <laughs> it was just that they weren't John Mayberry. That's why we were excited. But you're right. You come up here with a lot less pressure. The other thing is, if they could add a big bat, you want another guy who can actually hit for power on this team. I know Lindor's hit for power this year, but other than Pete Alonso, they don't have a slugger on this team. And somebody to protect Pete. Because right now, the best hitter in this lineup to protect Pete Alonso is Jeff McNeil, who they missed over the last two games in this Astros series because he's their most clutch player. Well, they were built with Cano in that spot, right? I mean, lefty bat, he was supposed to be... They the couldn't have relied and, on that. And, and by the way, I hate to go back, but like if if nobody... I mean, I feel like you or I knew better, right? And the majority of Met fans, nobody wanted to see Robinson Cano. However, they stuck with him. And in instead of replacing Cano with a legitimate DH, not that you need to spend $100 bucks on somebody, but there were plenty of options to get to be a much better DH. They didn't do it in part, I believe, because of Cano. And then they cut bait with him early on because he's washed up. And now they're looking for a DH ever since. But yeah, I mean, I looked at the lineup on paper coming into the year. I thought Cano was going to be that guy to back up Lindor, Alonzo, and be that legitimate fifth hitter who could provide some power from the left side. They don't have it. I mean, Guillaume batting fifth today. And I love Guillaume. He's not a five hitter. Escobar has not done the job. Canna, not a five hitter. Obviously, as we mentioned, none of the DH guys. So they could use, you're right, not just a bat, but another power bat to protect those guys. Yeah, they, in that order. they don't have anywhere close to a protection for Pete Alonso on this roster right now, unless one of the kids came up and hit for pop. Like right now, their best team, their best lineup features Luis Guillerme playing every day. Right. And I was mentioning this before. If you bench Escobar, if you say, look, all right, Eduardo, and Buck hinted at it, let's give him a couple of days. Uh, I'd play Guillerme at second and McNeil at third base because Luis Guillerme at second base is marvelous. I mean, he is, him and Lindor special as a double play combination. Did you and, hear the story we, we talked about on Baseball Night New York? I'm not sure where else where it was said, but where Guillerme, I guess, was asked about wearing a cup. Yes, and he, yes. Yeah, and he stuck up his hands and said, I don't need one. <laughs> he, he's got great, I mean, that is great. He's got, he's the best defensive infield that I've seen since my guy Ordonez. I mean, he's got sick hands. I love Guillaume. I've always liked Guillaume because I like guys that thrive in their role. You don't expect him to hit 20 home runs and drive in 80 runs, but you expect him to be a versatile defensive player who can put the bat on the ball. That's exactly what he's done. And guess who else likes guys like that? Buck. Buck Showalter loves him. So he's going to be in the lot. Whether he's the official everyday third baseman, second baseman, whatever, Buck is going to find a spot for him in that lineup, especially with Escobar struggling. Before we get to Buck, because I know you want to make love to him, and I respect that. <laughs> I do. I very much do. Yeah. I think because of the Carrasco injury, 
because of the uncertainty around Jacob DeGrom. Because Tyler McGill is not making another start for this team. Let's be realistic about that. What, ever? You think he's done this year? No, I, no I, I'm not saying he's done this year. I think if he ever comes back, he's in the bullpen. Like I, okay, I, just, fair, yeah. I think he's going to miss time. I don't know if they're going to stretch him out again. And then I think they're going to evaluate and say, hey, he could add value for us out of the bullpen. I know that there's a... If you're pitching a guy every two days or back-to-back days, is there more risk of injury than pitching once every five days and throwing 85 pitches? I'm not sure. I'm just, and this isn't even being negative. I just don't think Tyler McGill is a guy that I can rely on in this rotation for the rest of the season. I'm starting to think that maybe they should trade for a starter. And I have two, two reasons for it besides the fact they need one right now, the fact that Trevor Williams is best off as a long man than as a guy making a start every once in a while. But they have so many free agents at the end of this season. That if you can add another guy who's got control, a guy who can help you now, so I'm not just talking about 2023, but a guy that can help you now and then be an option for you next year when Taiwan Walker, Carlos Carrasco, Chris Bassett, Mm -hmm. Jacob DeGrom, not that Jake's going anywhere, could all be free agents. I think there would be something to it. Someone DM'd me Paul Blackburn, who's had a great year for the Oakland A's. Okay. Tyler Molly. Okay. These guys aren't great. I'm not telling you the difference makers where they're going to make starts in October, but... I'm starting to get concerned that they could use some pitching depth because every time you think they're about to get healthy, someone else is getting hurt. Right, but to your point, they're not going to get a difference maker, nor do they need one, because if DeGrom and Scherzer are not healthy, it doesn't matter anyway come October. I mean, they can fight, but they need at least Scherzer to be there to be the difference maker in the postseason. You're never going to get that. So they between DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, they should be okay at the top of the rotation. But they are done. I'm tired of watching Trevor Williams take starts for this team. Can't do it. So if there was any issue with Carrasco or there's a delay in Scherzer, then they need to start it. But the question becomes, what do you give up? Because you can't expend all your assets on the rotation. They need more balance. They desperately need a bullpen. They need, to me, at least another bat in that lineup. They should be good with pitching once healthy and deep with pitching, too. I mean, who's you, you could account for losing a guy or two. Come on. They've lost DeGrom from the beginning of the year. Scherz has been out of the month. The guy's never hurt. Tyler McGill hurt, back, hurt again, and um, potentially something with Carrasco or somebody else. You don't expect to lose four or five guys from your rotation. I don't think any team can withstand that. I would like an arm for depth that's maybe better than Trevor Williams or somebody that they could bring up for the minors, but I'm not going nuts because bullpen is a major priority, and I still want another bat over another starter. Yeah, look, the bullpen, and I think we kind of knew this going into the season, they they definitely need another arm. Um, one thing I like is Edwin Diaz, and we saw this a few weeks ago, he's going to eventually be asked to get five, six outs come playoff time uh, if he's continuing to pitch at this level. I know his last few saves have been shaky, though that the one where Alonzo made the play at the plate, it was soft contact all throughout. But we're going to see Buck Showalter come October. He's going to extend Edwin Diaz. I mean, he's going to treat him like Mariano Rivera. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to pitch like Mariano Rivera. I don't know if your trust level has gone up in Edwin Diaz, well, but he course. is going to be aggressive in the way he uses him. He's earned our trust by his dominant performance. So even me, who was, if not the biggest, one of the biggest Edwin Diaz detractors, you know, he's earned the trust. But that doesn't mean that I'd be going to the whip for five out saves regularly. You know, Diaz... He did it that one time, and he was nasty. I'm not sure I would do that often. But don't you look at the postseason, Ev, in a different way than the regular season? Because you know a lot of those starters are going to 
go to the bullpen. So, yeah, I mean, Trevor Williams is not going to be on the postseason roster. Right. There are a lot of these guys that aren't going to be on the postseason roster. You mentioned McGill, Peterson. You could have Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco all getting big outs late in games, similar to what maybe the Nationals did in 2019 without a good bullpen. They use their starters that they weren't using in the rotation. So I'm less concerned about the bullpen in the postseason but more concerned about it now to get to the postseason. Yeah, you hit on the formula. I thought Dave Martinez was brilliant in 2019 with how he used his starters, especially when you have the off days in the postseason. You've got guys on their throw day that say, I'm going to use my big horses every once in a while out of the bullpen. I'd do it with Max and Jake too, by the way. You know, assuming there wasn't any risk of blowing their arms out, I would use them on their throw days to get you an out or two in a big postseason game. So it's... It's different. It's it's definitely a completely different animal. Um, we'll see. Now, as far as Buck is concerned, Buck's been great. I, I think we all admit that. But has he been everything you dreamt about when you were wishing America a very merry Buckmas? Has honestly, this been all of your fantasy, Sal? Honestly, I think it's even more. <laughs> you, forget, you forget how much fun it is to watch an actual freaking manager manage and it's not just any manager he runs circles around these clowns the umpires the opponents it is refreshing you you feel the order and structure within that dugout within the organization he's i guarantee he's bossing epler around and i know sandy olsen doesn't like that so i love having that guy that's to me how baseball should be where the manager is the lead dog not that he's dismissing the analytics and the information he takes all of it so i think honestly he's been even better than i thought and there's no way you know the old adage oh manager's five games better or 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 it's a difference of five games a better manager bull crap when you factor in buck show versus louis rojas you think that that's a five game difference no way so it's and you go from callaway and rojas to buck it's been better than i thought you're 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 right about something like i've always been a believer that the manager is overrated, that it's all about the players and locker room chemistry is overrated. And everything you said that you disagree with, I have said over the years and I own it and I stand by it, but this is different. I I do agree with you. And I think that maybe it's watching the extremes of a bad manager in Luis Rojas. And I thought what, what Luis was really bad at that Buck is really, really good at that. I know we can't measure is the way he runs the locker room. I mean, Luis Rojas had no freaking idea what the hell was going on half the time. And I don't have that concern with Buck Showalter. So there's no way to measure this. I can't tell you how many game difference it would be because it's impossible when you're talking about like running a room. But I do get the sense that Buck Showalter is just a better people person. Like I think he talks to Francisco Lindor stuff he'll never tell us about. And I think their conversations help him. I think Buck Showalter is probably talking talking to him, probably in spring training, about New York and handling New York and the pressures of New York. So correct, he has he's great at that. I admit, but the experience. I mean, we've gotten to a point in sports where experience doesn't matter when hiring a head coach, when hiring a manager, whatever it may be. It should. Buck Showalter's using his experience, not just in New York, but years and years of experience managing at the big leagues. There's a reason he's so great at what he does because he's done it before. Now, obviously, he's done it well, and he knows the game, and he loves it and all this stuff. You know, you have to be good, too, not just experience, but experience is such a big part of it. And maybe it does make it better or or the difference seems more significant because we were watching Mickey Calloway and Rojas. Yes. still, Buck's going to get the best. 
I think there's a there are some good managers in baseball. Alex Cora is a really good manager in baseball. So I think if we were just watching Alex Cora for five years and then went to Buck Showalter, our view on it would be different. We were watching Luis Rojas, who had no idea about the rat raccoon controversy or the fact right. that Met players are going thumbs down. And that's where I do think managers make a bigger difference. I think the day-to-day, you know, when are you pinch hitting for this guy? When are you use, taking this guy out? It's subjective. Like, we're all going to argue and complain about different things. I think for the most part, Buck's done a great job. I find myself complaining a lot less about decisions than in the past. The one, and I don't know if this is a knock, but you can't deny this, Sal. He does lie to us frequently. I don't know if you've picked up on that. Yeah, and I don't generally care about that. Okay, I mean, that's fine. But, but yeah, I mean, even the way that he... I, don't know, I wouldn't even say he dances around questions. He flat out ignores questions and comes up with some kind of answer that he wants to answer it with as opposed to whatever the writer or the you know whoever's asking the question is asking him so it could be a little annoying and maybe more so if they weren't winning however I don't care I love that he keeps the clubhouse in order I love that I don't even have to think about it or worry about it I know that the Mets have an advantage every time they take the field with Buck doing everything, you know, like you said, outside of the subjective moves, doing everything the right way, knowing the rules, knowing this, knowing that, not making mistakes that would beat the team. They don't beat themselves. So I love watching Buck show Walter manage and the team plays a brand of baseball. That's also fun. They play baseball. It's not buck ball. It's not small ball, small ball. They play baseball, which is refreshing in today's day and age. A lot of teams do it. A lot of what they're doing, which is great. I don't even know if it necessarily involves Buck Showalter. Like, the way this team is built, they're not a power team. They've got one slugger in Pete Alonso, like we talked about earlier. And two, the Eric Chavez hire is looking so freaking brilliant because I think his approach with hitters of, you don't want to have too much information. I want you to have good at-bats. We're not just focusing on launch angle and hitting the ball as high and far as you could go. Like, I don't know how much time you ever spent on baseball savant, but I've I've looked around it, and I, I find it interesting Uh, some of the numbers that they have. And Jeff McNeil breaks baseball savant because Jeff McNeil's hard hit rate is not that high. His exit velocity is not that high. And it's like, what's happening? Is he hitting into luck? No, Jeff McNeil's good enough to know they're not playing there. So I'm going to hit the ball there. And if it's 65 miles an hour, who gives a crap? I'm getting a base hit. And I think they've got a lot of guys like that. They've got guys who could put together great at-bats and guys who, you know, the whole Willie Keeler adage, hit the ball where they ain't. And I think a lot of that is the way they're built and then be the philosophy of Eric Chavez. Now, look, he's on Buck's staff, so sure, I get Buck credit for it. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a part of the the quote-unquote Buck ball that we're getting. This team is built differently, and I think we like it as old school fans. They're not relying on home runs and not striking out a million times. Dude, they have more sacrifice flies this year than they had all of last year. Which is something that I love. They just tack on, okay, take a run here, two runs there. Before you know it, it adds up to six runs in a ball game just by playing the game the right way. A guy like Mark Canna putting the ball in play, giving you quality at bats, those comebacks, you know, making other teams make mistakes. It's refreshing yes. to see them do that. And you're right. You know, the approach under Alderson, and I used to love Alderson, but clearly something was off there because even when he had talent on his team, they never were good offensively or as good as they should have been. And it's because of that dumb approach where they're trying to get guys to think too much or take too many pitches. Chavez somehow was able to translate the analytics to the current player. 
and it's worked brilliantly. You don't need to have powerhouse. It reminds me of the Royals in 2015. I mean, that's I've the said the same thing. I agree with yeah. you, and that's that's a team I want to be like because right. look, it's not completely the same. Obviously, the Mets had better starting pitching, the Royals had a better bullpen, but from a lineup perspective. I completely agree with you. And that's why if you can add one more big bat to go along with all of what we described, now you're talking about an elite-level offense. Even though they're scoring five runs a game, and they've done fine offensively, the numbers are all solid, it still feels like they're missing that one thing that could really put them over the top. Especially when you talk about, you know, look, postseason's different. It's not going to be as easy to get guys on and string hits together in the postseason the way that the Mets have been able to do it. You know, it's you need at least another threat of a guy who could change the game with one swing of the bat. You're talking about going up against the Dodgers or the Giants or, you know, the Yankees in the World Series, potentially. They need one more bat. They have balance, which is good. If they could have one more power bat, I think they'd have a, a really nice balance in that line. So a few weeks ago, uh, Craig gave me crap for saying that I – I don't want to play the Yankees in the World Series. I want to get to the World Series, and I'd rather play the Minnesota Twins. Uh, this may not surprise you. Joe Beningo completely agrees with me. We had this discussion a few <laughs> weeks ago as well. I know that Pete Hoffman's been taking flack from his host on the Midday Show, saying, you wuss Met fans don't want to play us. It's not about being a wuss. Well, maybe it is a little bit. I, there are a few reasons, one of which I want all the attention on us. I don't want to share it with the Yankees. Look, you, you do five hours every night. You do a great job, and it's a challenge I've run into for 17 years. You want to be fair. Now, you do a terrible job being fair about the Nets, but that's different. That, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Like, we can live with that. There's only 35 fans. It's not a big deal, okay? I don't want to share the World Series with the New York Yankees. Do you want that? Like, are you looking at saying, yeah, bring those bastards on? Like, do you want, if we're lucky enough to be in the World Series, to face those guys? No, and it has nothing to do with worrying about losing to the Yankees. I that that is the, the I couldn't care less. I mean, obviously, I could. It would be annoying, sure, but it's you care. You don't want to lose to them. <laughs> no, but it's. I wouldn't want to lose to anybody. But it's already happened. I lived it. I was right. there. I felt the pain in the prime of my fandom. So it's not that. What I said in two thousand, I think, still applies. Now, and I say this on the on the show regularly because it's come up so often here this year, it's from both sides. First of all, the Yankee fan who wants to play the Mets is just stupid. All they have to do, <laughs> there's, nothing good that could, there's nothing good that could come from that. You're A, sharing the spotlight, and B, risking losing to the Mets. That's that you can't do that. You already beat the Mets. That's it. It's over. The one thing that may be able to have Mets fans have an edge on the Yankees is to beat them in the World Series. So the Yankee fan that wants that is stupid. But from either the Mets or the Yankees, and obviously we're Mets fans, so I give the Mets perspective, I hated it in 2000 that the Mets, for the first time as an adult that made the World Series, shared the spotlight with the Yankees. It wasn't about the Mets in the yes. World Series. It was about the Subway Series. That's what I don't want. So why would why would a Mets fan want, hey, they get to the World Series, it's about the Yankees and the Subway Series as opposed to Mets, Blue Jays, and it's a World Series. And you could say the same thing for the Yankees. First time back since 2009, it's not going to be about the Yankees. It's going to be about the Mets, Subway Series, I, both teams. I try, and I tried to do this with BT. He didn't agree with me, and I'm surprised about this, maybe because it feels so far away. I said to him, you're a Jet fan, okay? We have been close to getting to the Super Bowl, but we've never in our adult life, in our life period, experienced the New York Jets two weeks Super Bowl week. 
You've gotten to experience it as a fan. You've gotten to experience it twice as a fan. It's an amazing feeling. I assume it's an amazing feeling. I have no idea because I haven't experienced it. I say to him, would you want to share that with the Giants? Like, would you want a Jet-Giant Super Bowl? Here we are, the Jets finally get to a Super Bowl, and we got to share it with the New York Giants? And I would think that with Jet fans, that would resonate. Like, yeah, I don't want to share it with the Giants. And that's really what it comes down to. Now, you keep saying the Yankees are going to win the World Series. Like, do you think that, or are you just trying to placate those arrogant bastards? Um, I do believe that. Now, But again, I've, I've felt this since 2017. I've felt pretty much every year that they were going to at least get to a World Series. I think I'm still brainwashed from the Dynasty teams that I grew up watching. Like, I always feel, I know they haven't been to a World Series in 2009. It doesn't feel like that to me. At some point, they're going to break through. I don't see anybody in the American League legitimately challenging them. So why wouldn't I just say, well, yeah, the Yankees are going to win World Series. I I don't know if I believe it or not fully yet, but I do believe they're getting there. Like, 100%, I'd be stunned if anybody, and the Astros would be maybe the one team, but I don't think anybody's beating the Yankees. I think they're getting to the World Series, and we'll see what happens. If DeGrom and Scherzer are healthy and the Mets are there, I mean, I think the Mets might be better with the pitching, but I yeah, I, mean, I think they're getting there at least. It takes a lot of time to heal our old wounds, and it's taken <laughs> me a long time to no longer look at the Yankees as the dynasty Yankees, a team I grew up with, a team that tortured me uh, in high school. So I get it. And to me, it all flipped in 04. You know, when the Red Sox came back from 3-0 down, I look at the Yankees as very good. I mean, obviously, they've won a World Series since, mm-hmm. but they're not the same. And slowly as a Met fan, I'm also starting to change. There's always been that inner Wilpon negativity about bad things that are about to happen. And look, last year was a bad conclusion of the year, and that has nothing to do with the Wilpons. But I think slowly, I'm starting to realize that what we grew up with and what we're used to is not reality anymore. And it takes a while, but I'm slowly getting there with the Mets. I'm all the way there with the Yankees understood but it's not like we're making it up and the yankees have 35 wins i mean they are dominating every freaking night who in the american league is going to beat them they own the al east which is supposed to be the toughest division you think the twins or the guardians are going to challenge them so now we're ruling out at least i am the whole american league east the american league central there's one team one team that's it and it's a team that it would be fitting for the yankees to play them and get over the hump that's the team it's the astros I don't think the Astros are as good as they are in years past. I think the Yankees are better than they are. So, again, I don't know if I would, you know, I'm having some problems saying they're going to win the World Series. Maybe I throw in a little jinx on there. Like I did with the <laughs> That's what's division. going on. <laughs> but, but I do fully believe the Yankees are getting to, when, look, it's time. I mean, they're too damn good. Oh, it's been too long. I agree. I mean, if I would have told the Yankee fan after 2017, it'll be 2022, you're not in the World Series, they would have thought I was nuts. But... I'll never forget watching Game 6, Yankees-Mariners of 2000. And Michael Kay still haunts my dreams with that get your tokens ready line. Like, that line is still in my, get your tokens ready! Yeah, shut the hell up. You can take your tokens, stick it up your ass. That kills me to this day. If the Mets are in the World Series, they've won the NL pennant, they just beat the Dodgers in six, and now it's Yankees-Astros, Game 6 at Yankee Stadium. You're putting that Altuve jersey on, bro. You know it. (laughs) I just don't want – now, look, it's also you – know, I'm torn from a broadcaster's perspective. You know for the fan, for SNY, for – like, Subway Series is going to be – it'll be unfreaking believable Okay, I disagree. I disagree. I'm going to tell you why. How? Right? 
I How keep, do you disagree with that? The, I, the station would be insane. The okay. calls, the the intensity with Subway Series. Now with social media, it would be 10 times better oh, than it was in 2000. Oh, it would be insane. I'm not disagreeing about that. Here's my point, because I always hear this. It drives me nuts. It's good for the station. It's good for business. Whatever. If the Mets are in the World Series against the Minnesota Twins, that's good for the station. The Mets are in the World Series. If the Yankees are in the World Series against the Braves, that's good for the station. It's like if a New though. York team's in the World Series, Here's we're doing okay. Here's why it's different. And again, like I said, from a fan, I don't want any, I wouldn't want any part of it for either side. But from a broadcaster's perspective, you're talking about like history. There's a part of me, I wish I was on the air in 94 to see the Knicks and Rangers be that good at the same time. I wish I was on the air in 2000 to be a part of that Subway Series and have a voice. That's historic. Like, you're talking about non-baseball fans in this town getting into every pitch, talking about it, every game, the hype. Like, it's it's just different. I mean, were you doing – were you on the air at that point in 2000 at no, all? No, I didn't. My – See, the, the history I got to experience was 06. I mean, 04 right. a little bit. I was part-time, so I wasn't on, like, every single night. But right. I was on after Game 7 of 2006, and, like, it still haunts me thinking about it. But it's all history. <laughs> like, I, I get it. Mets-Yankees, uh, amazing history. But Mets-Royals was history. <laughs> it was the World Series. Not, it's not the same. You, even, you have to admit that. Come on. And this year, you know, I've, the Subway Series, I loved it. I went to the first game ever. I used to go to... Every game at Shea, and then I go to at least one at Yankee Stadium for a long time. I did that when it first started out. So, to me, it's lost its luster. This year is going to be different. Those four games, the two in, I know, uh, end of July and then August, right? Yeah. July and August. City yeah, and then they, Yankee, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be insane. I'm intrigued by this. Like, I, I'm not disagreeing and saying it's not going to be insane, but the Subway Series has been going on for 25 years. We just passed the 25-year anniversary of right. Dave Malicki's greatest performance ever. <laughs> I'm curious, 25 years, yes, these two teams look great right now. I'm curious if it's going to be as insane as the late 90s. Like, because a part of that was the newness. A part of it was you hated, I mean, we hated Roger Clemens. Oh, my God. We wanted to just rip his fat steroided head right. up. Still do. Of course we still do. But, but, but Ed, the difference is that both teams, I mean, this is rare. Both teams are actually legitimately good. In 2000, yeah, the Mets were good. And the Braves just hit a home run here, down 3-2. Uh, the, the Mets were legitimately... <laughs> race baseball, baby. The Mets, I'm watching it holding on for dear life with the Giants here trying to I get know, I know. The, the Mets are legitimately good at the same time as the Yankees. It's different. They were good in 2000, not on the Yankee level, where the Yankees were I know, agree. In, in the dynasty run. So that's, I think, what makes it different, that... The Met fan legitimately feels like they have, and they have the richest owner in the sport. It's now that they don't have the history yet, and they don't have, you know, the built-up consecutive postseason appearances yet, but the playing field has been leveled here. It's different now. All right. Well, we'll see if it happens right now. I'm just, let's just win the freaking division and get to the uh, divisional series automatically. That's my goal. But I appreciate it, Sal. You can check out Sal, obviously, on WFA and the Overnights and Baseball Night New York on SNY. Thank you very much for popping on, and thank you for listening to this edition of Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>